Welcome to the wonderful world of Poketaka, your one-stop Pokemon for all things relating to your favorite digital creatures. I'm your host, Justina Leppa, and I'll be guiding you through a half hour full of games, trivia, music, battle analysis, and more. Whether you're a seasoned Pokemon fan or just starting out, we have a little bit of something for everyone. So make sure to grab your bags, potions, and hats, and let's get this show on the road. Welcome back to Poketalker. I'm your host, Justina Lapa, and today we have a very special episode on Earth Day featuring Allie Durst from Radio DePaul. Hello! <laughs> Allie is an environmental... Okay, I'm gonna get this wrong because I don't know all the names, but environmental science major? Is that right? Studies, technically, but okay. they're, they're basically the same thing. So she is definitely qualified. To talk I about hope, this. I hope after like $100,000 I'm qualified. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I mentioned before, we're going to be talking about Earth Day in a more general sense, as well as how it applies to the Pokemon universe. So first off, why don't we get started with kind of the general bits about Earth Day and why it's such a big deal that we have Earth Day, and what are some of the issues that we need to tackle in order to maintain a healthy planet? Well, Earth Day, as many of you know, is the one day of the year in which we decide to acknowledge that the planet we live on is a miracle, that we have ended up in this planet that has the perfect balance of an atmosphere water that facilitates life because although we're seeing different planets currently in other universes that may have that capability as we see with mars it may seem like a good like fit but it's really rare to have that goldilocks condition and additionally it's also a day to celebrate um basically trying to fight climate change um, and then you have, um, of course, different corporations celebrating Earth Day by offering you free coffees and whatnot if you plant trees. But at its heart, it's a day that's meant to celebrate the Earth and hopefully combat climate change, like plant a few trees. And Pokemon and climate change don't necessarily go hand in hand. And of course, playing Pokemon is probably hurting the environment more than helping it. But um, Ali and I have talked briefly about this. Pokemon has some really interesting symbolism and discussions about environmentalism in its, in its games and in its story. Because in essence, it's all about these different creatures living in the wild and in order to maintain those creatures in the game, you have to have these spaces where they're able to live and thrive and be healthy so that the trainer can go out and catch them and go on their Pokemon journey. So with that, what are some of the big Pokemon that kind of talk about that relationship between our environment and the Pokemon living in it? Well, I would say that um, there are many different Pokemon that basically have sort of environmental roots. 
Um, of course, most obvious are Grimer, Muck, Weezen, Coffin. Um, those are those were in the original 191, I believe was the correct number. 151. 151. I was I was 40. <laughs> I was I was gonna be like yes, but no. Um, and so there were a ton. Um, and also pretty much every single legendary in recent memory, aside from, well, I guess Sword and Shield. And for a while, it was all like environmental, like this is the wind dog thing, the North Wind Dog um, that had like water powers. And then, of course, we had Sapphire and Ruby, which were incredibly environmental um, in their messaging. And really gave a juxtaposition on sort of conservation versus preservation, which is a huge debate in, in the environmental world. But additionally, with Galar, the Galar regions, my favorite things were seeing the ways in which different Pokemon had their unique forms. We saw it briefly in Aloha with um sort of the island variations of Grimer and Muck who basically absorbed trash and stored it in themselves. And then my favorite was Corsola and what they did with um that Pokemon because in Galar that it was bleached white and became a ghost Pokemon, which I loved because many people, I'm sure like people have some idea of what's going on, but coral reefs are being bleached due to the pH imbalance, um, that's basically acid coming from increased heat um, in the waters due to global warming. And so we're unfortunately losing a lot of the Great Barrier Reef. We're losing a ton of coral. And coral is such a fundamental part of the ecosystem um, in oceans. It's not just like something pretty to look at. And so... I loved the fact that not only did they bleach Corsola, but they made it a ghost Pokemon. I thought that was so cool and creative. And then also with Colossal, which I think is an ugly Pokemon, <laughs> but I love that they made this like fuming coal stack, like gigantic Pokemon that's like Dynamaxed. Um, that was also really cool. And then also, of course, we have the Galarian Wheezing. And that one was also cool in that it basically takes in the um, smoke from the other, like the original, I guess, Kanto, even though the regular coffins has been in like every region so far, pretty much. Um, but the original coffin and Wheezing, and it sort of purifies those um, smokes, which is something that we see a lot in scrubbers and actual smokestacks, which basically sort of scrubs the air in a sense and basically takes out the sulfur from it. I know that not a lot of people like Galarian Corsola, but it, it definitely is wild because it is a ghost type and it looks so sad. It, it looks does. so sad. On top of it evolving into Cursula, which is just a piece of coral on the bottom with a ghost coming out of it. And for some of you who watch Loxton Noggin videos, he did a video on this. But it has to do with how fishing boats have nets that they drag along the surface of 
the ocean to try and catch as many fish as they can, but this in turn breaks off the coral as they go by, so all that's left are these little stumps on the ground and the coral is dead and can't really revive itself. So you have all these broken messes of coral because of these fishing ships. And the the Pokemon represents that so perfectly because that's what it was designed off of. So that's also really cool. But with that, we did talk a little bit about some of the Pokemon that represent environmentalism and environmentalism awareness in Pokemon. What are some of the ways that we can help make the world a better place when it comes to being environmentally conscious and sustainable? Definitely. Um, so there are many ways, but one of the ways that I feel like does not get enough attention is environmental injustice and environmental racism, which is also sort of alluded to in Pokemon games, like with the Aloha region with Town, with Team Skull, you have this area that is pretty much neglected by the government that is basically like trashed and that could be like government neglect. But once we get to Galar, you see sort of the same thing where it's this town that's kind of cut off from the energy resources. It's dimly lit, there's smog everywhere. Um, There's literally like no government intervention or care to it. And that's very similar to issues we see with environmental racism and injustice in our own country with issues like Flint, Michigan, or, of course, the classic case of Love Canal, New York, where there are these places that unfortunately are being polluted. And it's basically all the power plants that we use, the people who are able to afford to live in nicer areas. All our energy has to come from somewhere. And so, unfortunately, there is a history with redlining, which happened with the New Deal, when they were trying to sort of resurge, like, the housing market, is that they looked and they redlined. They split up different neighborhoods. And the red neighborhoods, which were dangerous, were the ones that had minorities in them. And the green areas were the majority white areas. And so companies came in and they put power plants and other basically polluting things such as like dumps and whatnot into these red communities. And basically these people couldn't afford to really move. And so they were stuck there and dependent on the economic jobs that these plants created for them. And so a lot of the times these Minorities have to sort of stick together and create their own coalitions to stand up for their health, such as um, Lavalita, which is in the Lawndale neighborhoods um, of Chicago. And they basically had to come together to create their own environmental health um, committee to stand up for themselves because they had two Superfund sites, which Superfund is incredibly polluted, dangerous to even be in contact with. And so... Basically, these groups are having to represent themselves, and when they come forward to the local governments, there's a term in the environmental community called hysterical Hispanic woman, which is basically how a lot of these women are looked at as hysterical because they're crying that their kids are getting poisoned by their water, and it's awful. And so although I feel like the Pokemon games don't directly refer to this 
I feel like they hint at it, especially with like Spike Mouth and Poe Town. And so building off that, because I think before we really try and embark on any big things, like stopping pollution, that's such a big desire to get done. And so I think that we need to really also help our fellow Americans and just people in general and really start advocating for them and cleaning up these neighborhoods and just being a good advocate, really, for these people like in, who are getting poisoned and really starting to send messages and emails and letters to our local representatives on what we want to see. because. Companies have tried to put the blame onto us that we're consuming too much plastic, that we're the bad guys because we're not recycling. There is a very small percent of plastic that's recycled that actually gets recycled into new products. I would say 10%. It's ridiculous. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't recycle, but it's just really disappointing that these companies are basically blaming us. And so it's really about trying to pick others up, I would say. And additionally, writing to representatives about wanting more environmental regulations and accountability with these companies, because it's not just us polluting with plastic. Maybe it's the companies who are using plastic in the first place (laughs) instead of maybe using a more sustainable packaging. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say while you were talking, it's like, why does it, if they're blaming us for using too much plastic, why don't they just use less plastic in their supply? But I do think that is all the time we have with Allie. Is there anything that you want to end off on? Maybe some words of advice or just call to action? I would say... A big part, of course, it's great to be sustainable. I encourage everyone, like, eat less meat. That's helpful as well, also for your health as well. Um, But it's really just about at this point, we're come to realize that mathematically, even if we all collectively, like, stop driving cars, like, it would really help. But there are issues such as geobiochemical flows which are like runoff from factories. It's these corporations are really allowed to get away with so much and at such a grand scale that unfortunately your little difference isn't making that much. Doesn't mean you shouldn't try, but it means that we really need to hold these companies and corporations accountable because sustainability is... It's something that's so important. And for millennials and Gen Z, like companies are starting to realize that the way to get us to work for you is to be sustainable and to hold those values. And so really be loud. Don't be afraid to say your values and really, I guess, just educate yourself and educate others. Because really, if there, if you tell someone, oh, that corporation's like doing factory farming, Slowly, we can start to spread awareness and hopefully get these practices to stop with our dollar. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Allie, for coming on and telling us a little bit about environmentalism and how that applies to Pokemon, as well as giving us some advice on 
how to hopefully lead things into the right direction. But if you liked hearing Allie on Poketalker, that's not the only place you can hear her. You can also find her on her four, almost five <laughs> shows on Radio DePaul. She's right, Currently, she's got Allie's Bizarre Adventure. She's also got League of Jellyfish, which is a League of Legends show. And she's got Vibe Check Volume 1 and Vibe Check Volume 2. And I'm also constantly pumping out articles, so... <laughs> yeah, she's got, like, the most articles out of anyone on the Radio DePaul website. So if you want to check her out, she is in no way a silent voice. She is definitely one of the most vocal voices here at Radio DePaul. So once again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Honestly, it's been an honor. Biking in Chicago is more than just a mode of transportation. It's a lifestyle. It's convenient, affordable, and with 13,000 bike racks, parking is never a problem. But with every reward comes a sidecar of risk. In Chicago, over 1,700 cyclists a year are killed or injured in bike accidents involving motor vehicles. Bike safety is simple. First, become familiar with Chicago bike laws. Know your hand signals and when to use them. Love your brain. Get a bike helmet that fits your noggin. And deck it out with a headlamp and some reflective gear for riding at night. Bike at least three to four feet away from parked cars to avoid being struck by a car door being opened. Motorists can do their part, too, by checking their side view mirrors for bike traffic before exiting their vehicle. Most importantly, remember that we're sharing the road. Looking out for both ourselves and each other is the only way to keep Chicago's roads safe, no matter what your wheels look like. For more information on bike safety in Chicago, visit www.chicagobikes.org. This public service announcement was brought to you by Radio DePaul, Chicago's college connection. Welcome back. You're listening to Poke Talker on Radio DePaul. And in the second half, I'll be going over some more Pokemon that have a strong connection to the environment in the Pokemon universe. First up, we have Suicune, which is the North Wind, and both shown in the anime and in its Pokedex entries is that it's able to purify water by running over it. And in doing so, it's able to clear up any pollution, trash, or otherwise a foreign material that is affecting the cleanliness of the water. Similarly, Shaman is also a legendary Pokemon that is able to help clean its environment. And its signature move, Seed Flare, does this by destroying impurities both in the air and in the land. And its Pearl Dex entry states, it can dissolve toxins in the air to instantly transform ruined land into a lush field of flowers. And then this one's a good one. This one's kind of unexpected, but Meganium. Meganium has the power to revive dead grass and plants, and it can make them healthy again. And I think that's so cute because I can imagine any sort of like amateur or even professional gardener or horticulturist in the Pokemon universe having a Meganium and just hanging out and having a good time caring for the plants. And Meganium's just super cute, helping out their trainer, maybe sometimes doing some extra runs to make sure their trainer isn't ruining any of the plants or anything like that. So that's super cute to think about. But there's also the side of Pokemon where some Pokemon are just super affected by their environment very heavily. And one of those Pokemon is Celebi, as we saw in the fourth Pokemon movie, where Celebi is really affected by the health of the forest that it's in. And if the forest is dying, then Celebi does too. And I think that's something we can learn as well, because we're all intrinsically tied to nature. And if we end up destroying our own nature, then we won't survive much longer than that either. We've got Manaphy up next, which is a water type. And that's fitting because its Pearl Dex entry states, water makes up 80% of its body, and this Pokemon is easily affected by its environment. So you have situations where 
the acidity of the ocean is rising due to the increased average temperature of the oceans as well as the earth would make Manaphy possibly very, very sick due to its um, sensitivity to the environment. And additionally, water types seem to be pretty affected by their environment, where you also have Lapras, where in its ORAS entry states, people have driven Lapras almost to the point of extinction. In the evenings, this Pokemon is said to sing plaintively as it seeks what few others of its kind still remain. So that's pretty sad because, of course, people have a huge impact on the universe and the ecosystem in itself, trying to fish and hunt for their own needs and disregarding the population of existing wildlife. But the good news is, is that in Sword and Shield, it's also been said that Lapras are finally making a comeback. So while we make a big change in our environment, we can also make a big positive difference as well. And we're going to speed run through these because I've got a lot of them. But I also think what's really, really interesting, over the years, Pokemon has really established different environmental relationships between Pokemon. And this could also be within one generation, Pokemon within one generation, or it could be branched out upon with Pokemon from different generations as the series goes on. Their Pokedex entries are updated. And it's shown that they have different types of rivalries. So that's really cool. But to first start off with, we've got Paris, which is a classic example of a parasitic relationship. And its ORAS entry states, Paris has a parasitic mushroom growing on its back called a to Tochikaso. They grow large by drawing nutrients from this bug Pokemon host. They are highly valued as a medicine for extending life. So, yeah, you have... Paris, which is a Pokemon that's kind of a Pokemon, but it's also part mushroom. And then when it evolves into Parasect, it's completely taken over by the mushroom and doesn't really have any say of its own. It's just controlled by the mushroom on its back and does what it needs to in order to benefit the mushroom itself. And then we've got Alolan Muck and Grimer, which prey on Trubbish and Garbodor. We've got Corsola and Marini slash Toxapex, where Corsola are, of course, based off of corals, and Marini and Toxapex are sea urchins, and sea urchins are infamous for destroying and eating tons and tons of corals. We already talked about Galarian, Corsola, and Cursula, so you already know a little bit about that. And then additionally, Galarian coughing and wheezing, a weird regional form where instead of polluting the earth, they help clean it. So that's a little bit weird, but we'll vibe with it. Then you have weird environmental differences like Houndour and Houndoom, as well as Slugma, being labeled as Johto Pokemon, except if they're Johto Pokemon, they're only found in Kanto when they were first released. Uh, which is super interesting, because then you could call it a potentially invasive species. It could be um, rationalized as being a new species that just kind of sprouted out and was um, naturally selected to to evolve into what Houndour and Houndoom are out of the Pokemon from Kanto. So I think that one's not really explained, but it's also really interesting. 
You've got Alolan Rattata, Alolan Raticate versus Young Goose and Gumshoes. Seismitoad and Toxicroak are related in their Pokedex entries because their toxins are very similar. Toxicroak is a poison type, but Seismitoad isn't. But in the Pokedex entry for Seismitoad, they talk about its lumps secreting a particular toxin that paralyzes its enemies. And it's also said that it's a cousin of Toxicroak, so their poisons are very similar. You've also got Scentiscorch and Scolipede, which are rivals in the Galar region, uh, both of which take up their own sides of north and south, and they fight over who has what territory, and if they get too close, they start fighting very fiercely over that. You've got Crustal and Rhyperior, where Crustal is apparently the only thing that can break Rhyperior's shell, and is they tend to actively fight all the time. You've got Apom and Bounsweet, where Apom's favorite food is Bounsweet, according to the Ultramoon decks. And uh, this is a fun fact for Ruby. This is a 100% weird fact, because Pokemon have different tastes dependent on their nature, meaning an Apom with a low speed should not like Bounsweet. You've got the relationship of Cramorant versus Aerokuda, where you have Cramorant going surfing or going diving, and it comes up with an Aerokuda. And I think that's super funny. Also, if you look up what Cramorant is based off of, which is a Cormorant, they're the funniest looking birds ever. It's so funny. They just look so derpy, and it's so cute. Next up, you have Oricorio, which have four different types of forms and their change the change in their appearance is based off of what kind of nectar that they drink and this has to do with darwin's finches and how their beaks are different based on what kind of seeds they eat on the different islands and because alola where oricoria was found is a set of islands this would make sense and then you also have a bunch of different Pokemon with in-region differences, and just to name a few, you've got Gastrodon, you've got West and East Gastrodon, you've got Red Stripe and Blue Stripe Basculin, and then you've got Trash, uh, Trash Cloak, Plant Cloak, and Sandy Cloak. Plant Cloak is not right, but you'll correct me on that. Within the region itself, so Wormadam is super interesting because based on its surroundings, it's able to change its form. But with that, considering all of the Pokemon we've gone over today, let's see what you've learned with a little Who's That Pokemon quiz. Good luck. This Pokemon is known as the Sludge Pokemon. It can have Poison Touch and Gluttony as regular abilities or a hidden ability of Power of Alchemy. This Pokemon is a Poison Dark type. It evolves from its pre-evolution at level 38. This Pokemon is an Alolan form of a Cantonian Pokemon. It is an amorphous pile of sludge. Stripes of green, pink, yellow, and blue cycle through its body. Its triangular white eyes sit above its gaping mouth. A single arm reaches towards its targets. White stone-like protrusions stick out from its body. Some of these protrusions appear to serve as claws and teeth. 
Its sun entry states, the garbage it eats causes continuous chemical changes in its body, which produce its exceedingly vivid coloration. Its ultramoon entry states, what look like fangs and claws are actually crystallized poison that will afflict you at a mere touch, so don't get too close. Alright, did you happen to guess which Pokemon it was today? If you guessed Alolan Muck, you would be correct. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Poketalker. I'm so glad I could share with you this Earth Day episode, finally, after such a long time. But it's not just a discussion we should have on Earth Day. A discussion about the environment is something that we should have year-round. You can find Poketalker on Instagram at PoketalkerOfficial, on Twitter at PoketalkerShow, and you can email us at PoketalkerOfficial at gmail.com. You can find us wherever you find podcasts. And thank you so much for tuning in. I'll catch you in the next one.